e ngā hau e whā o te motu e ngā kokonga o te ao nau mai ki te kaupapa nei a tiahika ko Justin Murray tēnei e mihi atu nei kia koutou katoa Thanks for joining the show Renowned artist, composer, kapahaka exponent, Professor Derek Lardalia received the honour of a knighthood as part of this year's Queen's Birthday honour list The, um, the revival of Ka Moko from the, the era that I'm involved in was uh, calculated by our our pakeke by our elders who wanted the art form to be given an opportunity to survive first and foremost back in the areas where it once stood proud so marae and maori communities on the show tonight we'll feature an encore presentation of an interview i did recorded in rotorua Dr Maureen Lander was also honoured for her contribution to Māori Arts. She was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Ever since I started at Elam and was going through sculpture, I knew that I wanted to work with mainly the fibres that grow here, like flax and ping or harakeke, pikuta, kia kia. I was learning to do tukutuku when the... Meeting house was built at Auckland University, so I used to go along there and sit with the weavers. I'm with Dr Maureen Lander, who talks about growing up in the far north and why some of her art installations is based on whakapapa and DNA. So Derek Lardelli wears a few portai, or hats, he maha ona pūkinga o te ao Māori. When I sat down for a chat with him in Rotorua at the end of last year, he was honoured for his contribution to the Māori language at the annual Te Wakatoi Awards. Now, the evening pays tribute to Māori who have continued to refine their work over the years. From sculptors, ceramicists, Māori language exponents, composers, tāmogo artists, painters and, of course, the young ones, the hungarangatahi, who have excelled in the early stages of the career, are also recognised. In our sit-down kōrero, or discussion, we talked about Toi Haukura, the School of Māori Arts in Gisborne, the composers that have inspired his own work in songwriting, and of course, writing the haka, the kapa, or pango. I come from the Tairawhiti, uh, and from the tribal groups of Ngāti Purot, Rongo Whakata, Whānuākai, Teitanga Mahaki, Tamanuhiri, actually Ngāti Ruapani and Teitanga Hawiti. So f- from basically all of the tribal groups of the eastern border. Where did it all start for you in terms of the creative realm? I think people are born with certain strains of creativity. Mine just happens to be in the field of uh, visual art and kapahaka. And the development of that, obviously, from a young age, was through travelling to Hui and watching great masters like Anaru Takurua. And we're very fortunate that one of those great masters is still with us and working at that high-end people such as uh, Queenie Moiho. So it started from a young age. Well, what came first, kapahaka, um, and then it branched off into the arts? Can't I think it all just fell out into place. <laughs> There's no set pattern to, to what I do, and I, I don't think I have a pattern. I'm, 
I'm patternless. I think it's all, it runs on whatever turns up on the day or how you're feeling that you're wishing that you wish to be uh, composing waiata, kapa, motiatia, uh, or whether you're creating tamoko uh, or visual art. It depends on how you're feeling, where your weight work takes you, where the spirit takes you on that at the time. So, uh, you know, throughout my mahi, I've interviewed alumni of Toi Haukura who are now working as tamoko artists here and overseas. Uh, do you believe this to be a mark of, of success, the alumni from Toi Haukura who are now part of that revival of Māori arts? I think well, we'll, we'll take moko as a starter. Mm. The, um, the revival of tamoko from the, the era that I'm involved in was... Uh, Calculated by our our pakeke, by our elders, who wanted the art form to be given an opportunity to survive first and foremost back in the areas where it once stood proud, so marae and Maori communities, and once we had embedded it back into that particular societal grouping, it was easy for it to move into the mainstream, and then from the mainstream to find feathers and fly further afield overseas. And it's become a means of um, support for Māori artists that are working in the tamoho uh, delivery. It's a means of keeping their family speed. And so in that sense, I say that it has been successful, but there's still a long way to go and a lot of work to do for, for tamoko. In regards to the other art forms that Toihaukura is involved in, we've, uh, this is our 25th year. Wow. And we've had lots of students over that quarter of a century who have done really, really well using art as a means of expressing themselves. The secret to Toihokura is not necessarily the ability to create art, but to use that as a, um, a creative springboard to do other things in their lives. And some of them, the orakihi, a wonderful exemplar of somebody who's utilised his skill as a visual artist, but also as a kapahaka master, and the, the writings and his compositions through Rako Manga into um, the Chiefs rugby team and further afield into the uh, the Kiwi League team. And uh, he's become creative because of being given the opportunity to express his creativity. And there are others like that throughout the country, in the north and in the east, west, south, that have come to Toihokura to find people like themselves. In that way, they find they find friends for life. You get people like um, Kawariki Morgan, wonderful, wonderful young man who's done so well with his Kapahaka group, who are now the uh, the, the world champions. Mm. And fantastic to look at that coming through and, and knowing that we had a wee bit to play in that development. Also, you were part of the genesis of the group? Uh, not necessarily oh. the group, but Kawariki was part of Whangara Mai Tafiti oh, in his yes. early days and, and as a student of Toi Hokura. And uh, we think of Anikaro Harawira and the beautiful moko work that she's doing in the north, in Kingi Pitiroi from the middle of the island, Toponuyatia, to Faretor, just outstanding young individuals who are pushing the boundaries of, of Māori art and making our visibility stand out. And I think that's, that's really quite pleasing to the heart to watch these young artists. The, the only problem I have with it is myself trying to keep up with them. <laughs> Are all Māori artists competitive in that sense? Uh, it, it depends on how they wish to compete. Uh, when they're in that sort of setting, when they're all with one another and they're, they're creating artistic uh, genius, mm. 
there's magic there mm. and you can feel it and you can see it and it's more the magic that matters what comes out of that is uh, there's obviously a, a movement now into the uh, into the galleries and the sales of Māori art which is important for them because again it's it's giving them a form of revenue to feed their families but I think at the end of the day first and foremost the feeling of being creative with other creative peoples in a creative space created for them specifically so that they can show their uh, their magic is a, is a special uh, point that people like myself and Steve Gibbs and others that have been involved with Toy Hokura for a long time, mm. we're proud of that. In this point of your career and your life, are you still very much an active tāmoko artist? Uh, yeah, I still enjoy tāmoko. I, I don't do as much as I'd like to do. I believe I've, I've sort of probably left it a wee bit now for, for the younger artists to pick up and the energy that they have, which gives me a lot of joy. Mm. Uh, but I still like to do tāmoko. I still like to be involved with kapahaka, mm. although getting a wee bit long in the tooth <laughs> and should really hang my pupu up. But um, I'll fight on for one more matatini, <laughs> maybe two if I'm allowed to by my children who tell me you'll be kept on the stage for as long as we say. Noi Kumeroa Pewhairangi as a composer, what kind of comes to your mind in terms of the, the work of, of Ngoi? Well, Hetepua. And it's the ease in which she was able to be so creative. Uh, I was fortunate to, on one or two occasions, witness her writing a song, and it was the manner and how she wrote it. Five minutes for the words, five minutes to connect it to a tune, and possibly ten minutes to get the actions. But the song was completed in 20 minutes. And those songs are still sung today. the beauty of Auntie Moy was, was the, she had such a wonderful sense of who she was and the placement of the words, the actions and the sound all connected in such a magical way that it impressed on me the power of this wonderful humble woman and to win an award like this is also humbling for me because I don't consider myself in any way to be anywhere near as good as, as people like Moy Pewhairangi we struggled to compose, well I certainly do you know, I'd struggle for two years to write a haka for matatini. It lasts one matatini, a flash of three minutes, 30 seconds, and then it's gone. The what point of excellence is that when I look back at what Auntie Ngoi has given to the nation and her ability to use the uh, the performing arts as a, as a vehicle for training young Māori people and allowing us the opportunity to sit in that circle of brilliance uh, for a short time with someone like Moi Pewhairangi was hugely beneficial to my own ability to think of, while wow, there's the example of excellence. You composed Te Kapo Pango, so what was the process behind composing that? Well, I think the first, in the first instance, the uh, All Black team were wanting to do something different. They, it started off wanting to make sure that they could do kamate well. And from there, being young men who wanted to leave a legacy and leave something for future team members for the All Blacks, that then drove the next uh, delivery, which was the creation of another haka that could stand by Kamate, because Kamate is a great haka. There's no doubt about it in the composer, Te how, how do we match up with that? 
So the going down to the ground and is also very much part and parcel of the tairafidi type haka, ruau moko, kura tiwaka, getting rid of the all haka that go into the ground and pull the essence of the person from within the ground through their veins into their delivery. So we were looking for something that could balance up with with the great kamate, and uh, that's what we have today is uh, kapa upongo. The appropriation of Māori imagery and symbols, how does this issue in your whakaaro present itself today and what are some of the challenges, do you think? I think as artists, first and foremost, we've got to be uh, true to our creative ability, first and foremost. Intellectual and cultural property rights is a big issue for Māori and certainly you have the right, you have to find the right sort of people to have that conversation. Is a certain type of uh, speak that surrounds that particular type of delivery. Uh, and, and, of course, you've got to look clearly at what you consider to be yours on behalf of your people because there's a universality about art, about everybody owns a triangle and everybody owns a circle. But how it manipulates itself and uh, turns itself into Māori is the thinking patterns behind the creation of it. And the pattern, therefore, is the forerunner for your cultural delivery from whence you came and therefore you must protect that because as the manaya from the car- carving will always say mate manaya ka tu te whakaro ka tu hoki ko te whakairo. and in saying that it is the mana to be able to create and, um, and the mana that also helps us protect the tonga that we create Tēnā koe, Sir Derek Lardelli, who received the highest honour of a knighthood as part of this year's Queen's Birthday Honours List As too was Dr Maureen Lander. She was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. An installation artist, weaver and educator, Dr Lander's whakapapa, is Tsu Tehikutsu in the far north. She was a lecturer in Māori Fibre Arts at the University of Auckland and in 2002 she received her doctorate in Fine Arts. Last year she was honoured with the award Natohu Ata Kingi Ihaka. While Maureen has been a teacher for many years, she enjoys working alongside small weaving groups, like the one from her hometown, Pātearoha Weavers, from Whirinaki. Her work has exhibited both here and overseas. Maureen talks about her childhood, her mentors, and how her art is, in some shape or form, a reflection of her identity. My connections are into Hokianga through my grandmother, into Tehikutu in Whirinaki Valley, through my grandfather, into Teroroa, Ngati Korokoro, at Omapare. I didn't grow up there. I was born in Rawani. Yes. My father was a teacher. We moved, so we moved to Kyle first and then to. Uh, te Karaka, inland from Gisborne. Growing up in Te Tairawhiti, Maureen would sit next to her grandmother and learn how to darn, which has featured in many of her pieces. What she taught me really early when I used to sit by her and darn socks um, <laughs> is coming into into play now. Yes. yes. And because you're so tactile as an artist, will fibre arts really come naturally to you? Um, I've always loved the fibre arts. And ever since I started at Elam 
and was going through sculpture, I knew that I wanted to work with mainly the fibres that grow here, like flax and ping or harakeke, kuta, kia kia. I was learning to do tukutuku when the meeting house was built at Auckland University, so I used to go along there and sit with the weavers and just do tukutuku mm. and uh, kiti whakairo with the shorter strands taught by Hinamoa Harrison then. And for the muka, I, I went to Digarest the Kanawa in 1984, I think. I started learning with Digger. So that changed my whole life, starting to work with muka. Mm. It was like magic. Renowned weaver Digarest Te Kanawa was born in 1920 and learned the art of weaving from her mum, Dame Rangimarie Hetet. She contributed to weaving for marae and alongside the tertiary institution Te Wānanga o Aotearoa. In the early 1980s, she co-founded Te Ropu Raranga Fatsu o Aotearoa, the National Māori Weavers Collective. What was that experience like? having her as a, a mentor and, and teacher. She was beautiful. She um, she was such a lovely teacher. We, we used to stay at Ohaki, and there was only a very small group that, that I was with. So we used to sleep up in the mezzanine floor at Ohaki. One night she unpacked a beautiful chest of kākahu that she and Rangimaria had made. That was so special, just watching each one come out and she would tell us its story. So it was way more than just being taught how to weave. It was um, it was like total immersion. And when I started to put it into my installations, I started to think, I wonder what Digger will <laughs> think about what I do with what she taught me. And uh, she saw the one I did in Taranaki, which was like a mountain. We'd done it with the children and with the weavers there. Mm. And she thought it was beautiful. And so did Auntie Marge. And it was such <laughs> a relief <laughs> to have those two say that it was... That Auntie Marge says, oh, that is absolutely exquisite. Do you find yourself in a position where you've actually been a mentor to other weavers? Now? I love mentoring. I've spent a long time teaching. So I've found myself mentoring students who are following in that same journey that I went on. But also I just love working with the local weavers. Uh, we've got a big project on at the moment, which mm. is um, bring back the knowledge of how to make the ra, which is in the British Museum. It's the only Māori sale still in existence. There is another group doing all the scientific research into it, but we've been for the last 10 years or more researching how to make it. Because we had a lot of photographs and there were things we couldn't see in the photographs, there's a lot of different components to the ra, so our whole Pate Araha weavers are practicing all the different techniques, you know, and making artwork inspired by the ra so the techniques come back. You seem to be part of that community as well. You have been involved in that community of a small group of weavers. I love to, as I travel, get to meet the weavers. So I have a touring exhibition called Flat Pack Whakapapa. Yes. And 
in several places it's been. I've worked with local weavers and sometimes with children. And we just make uh, another piece which goes up in the gallery alongside my touring show. So in Te Uru, in Titirangi, children came and their work went up in the main gallery alongside mine. A flat pack whakapapa is, is an art piece. Well, what I came to realise was that all my artwork was really a search for my own identity and my own whakapapa. And I had gone back to live where my whakapapa is. It was obvious that I was going to have to move again because of erosion of my place in Omapari. Mm. I started to worry about moving away again. And I thought, well, it doesn't matter. I take my whakapapa with me. And everybody, lots of people have to do that. So where you go, you take it with you. I was aware of Tongan and Samoan women who take their mats with them. And uh, I thought, well, whakapapa means to make layers. So I'll make layers. And it's also the commencement of how you start a kete in the old way. And what you put into the firi in your commencement, how many strips, what colours, determine the potential size, patterns, and how that kete will look. And so I just had the idea that I would do one long firi and put all my generations on it, and that would fold backwards and forwards. So it was more like occupation layers or bones in the ground as a way of making whakapapa. A bit like a whakapapa stick where you could go down the notches and say your ancestors. The other one that the Pātearaha group joined with me was Kitset Whanaungatanga. And so it was flat. It could, each, each of our pieces could have been made into a kete, but they were the flat commencement, the way they used to make the uh, kumara kete. Oh, yes. Uh, built yes. up to a peak and then... The strands were all taken into a firi, so if those strands were undone and it kept being woven, it could end up as a kete. So this is the flat pack that fits in your car that you take home and finish. (laughs) 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 And we all started with um, similar whakapapa, but we branch out and because we're individuals, each one is different. And so our our party araha weavers, we see ourselves as a whānau, we're not all blood-related, yep. but we see ourselves as a whānau. As an artist, what is your thoughts about the appropriation of Māori art? Uh, it's not art if somebody just copies something, but patterns occur throughout the world. They are universal. And so if you think it's a Māori pattern, it might actually occur in the Solomon Islands or... Um, you know, like some of the curvilinear patterns occur in Ireland, they're Celtic. So you can't be sure that what you think is a Māori pattern is a Māori pattern. Mm. But my feeling is if you're an artist, you, you're always referencing. I'm referencing the cloaks. I'm referencing what I see, but I have to bring it through myself and turn it into something that I have created and reflect something about myself and that takes away, it's just something then that I have created. Mm. But, it, but if you just take something and pretend it's yours and don't do anything with it, 
that makes it yours, you know, then you are appropriating. Mm. Like if somebody started doing my DNA spirals, I haven't seen anybody do that. And if I saw an exact copy of that, then I would feel that it might have been appropriated. Tēnā koe e te marae kura, Dr Maureen Lander, who is made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to Māori Arts. And we heard from Sir Derek Lardelli, who received his knighthood as part of this year's Queen's Birthday Honours List. E ngā iho pūmanua, tēnā kōrua. O tērā, kua tai tātou, ki te mutsunga o te hōtaka nei mo e tahi atunga whakaritenga. For more information about the show, head to our website rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika or you can follow RNZ Tiao Māori on social media. Nā reira, anō nei te mihi kia koutou katoa kua whakarongo pīkari mai ana, mai te whanua tiahika kia tātou katoa, mauri tū, mauri ora. Mauri ora.